Uh, this week I came across uh, an article on the Canadian Living website. It's by uh, Jennifer Villamere. And uh, the article is called Six Ways to Find the Christmas Spirit. I figure, I guess people are looking to try to figure out how to find the Christmas spirit, um, in case you don't have it already. And I wanted to share with you uh, how we can do that. So, according to the Canadian Living website. One of them is not wearing a sweater that looks like that. So that's not... Um, the first thing she says, hit the shops. Good way to find the Christmas spirit. Get into the malls, hear the music. Now, second one, I have to give her some real credit. Read a story. And in the article, I was actually kind of surprised for Canadian Living website that she included in the description, why not reread the Christmas story from a family Bible? Good idea. Three, crank out the crafts. Number four, give to charity. Not a bad idea. Number five, bake up a storm. You notice how she's kind of flipping from one thing to another thing? And the last one, which really surprised me, head to church. And I want to read to you what she wrote under the heading, Head to Church. Whether you're a weekly visitor or haven't been in years, a visit to your church can help you find some inner peace in a notoriously hectic season. Seeing the altar decorated for Christmas, hearing holiday hymns, going to confession, taking communion will help you feel renewed and ready to rejoice on Christmas Day. The idea of having Christmas spirit can sometimes be nice. Wouldn't it be good if we were all merry and cheerful? But also, Christmas spirit can sometimes be annoying. Like that sweater in the picture, or like when it starts to invade our lives in early November. Feeling like you must have Christmas spirit can be difficult for some, particularly those who are without loved ones or are dealing with difficult circumstances like illness or separation. It can be hard to hear about the joy of the season and how you're supposed to have it. Now, our cultural idea of Christmas seems to teach us that if we don't have a certain Christmassy feeling, then somehow something must have gone terribly wrong with us that in fact, Christmas itself is depending on our spirit. As the classic song says, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Now, what Santa is looking for in that song, you'll notice, is not just good behavior, as the rest of the song says, but also no pouting and no crying. We're looking for Santa-like jolliness for our Christmas spirit. And if you don't have it, then you better watch out. Now, the idea that Christmas depends on Christmas spirit is even more pronounced in Christmas movies. Now, these are three of my favorites. And uh, in my family, we watched all three of these and many, many more, actually, this season. And uh, Miracle on 34th Street is my favorite. Um, the Santa Claus and Elf are two of my other favorites. Now, in these movies, if you know them, Santa Claus's power depends on people's belief in him or whether they have Christmas spirit. 
and they all end happily, right? Now, I, I love these movies, and I actually really like the idea of Christmas spirit. And yes, when we sing the songs tonight, it, it feels good, right? Now, that's all fine, but in all of this, we can actually miss the real point. And worse than missing the point is that we can also start to think that, that God also operates in a similar way to these holiday movies about Santa Claus. It can be tempting to, to think or to tell people to believe in God the way these movies teach you to believe. That, you know what, the baby Jesus really needs you to believe in him, folks. So you better find that faith and that spirit inside you. But the thing is, God doesn't actually work that way. God's power is in fact independent from us. And it is certainly not dependent on our good behavior, or we'd all be in a lot of trouble. And it's not dependent on our cheerfulness even. If anything, Christmas is about how God acts decisively when things aren't cheerful or jolly. The story of Christmas is actually about hope arriving when things seem hopeless. It's all about the power of what God actually does, not the power of our belief or our feelings or the spirit of Christmas. God even acts in spite of us a lot of the time and in spite of our feelings. God acts decisively. Now, I don't know if we can relate to this particularly well, though, because God doesn't always seem to be acting decisively. It doesn't really look like that's what God is doing. We can look around in our world and we'll see all kinds of terrible things happening. We see terrorism, we see sickness, we see suffering, we see thousands and thousands of refugees fleeing their homeland. It can be hard to believe or to relate to this and even to this ancient story, especially with angels and shepherds and a star, but most especially because God doesn't seem to be acting. But here's the thing. The circumstances surrounding the Christmas story are actually highly relatable to our dangerous and fallen world. Matthew's gospel, which we didn't hear tonight, we heard from Luke's gospel, but his gospel gives us some insight into Mary and Joseph's story. The two of them were engaged, and... Joseph knew that Mary was pregnant. He also knew that he was not the father. This is actually kind of relatable to us. We might know people in that circumstance. Now, back then, Joseph had an option. Back then, the law stated that he was within his rights to have her reported, and she would be killed for adultery. And Matthew's gospel tells us that Joseph was a good man and so decided to dismiss her quietly and to not exercise that option and that right. But he could have. That was before he got visited by an angel who told him what was really going on. And then he took Mary to be his wife. That's a dangerous situation for Mary. The political situation, we're reminded in Luke about the Roman Emperor Augustus and Quirinius, the governor of Syria. In Matthew, we're reminded about Herod, who was king of Judea. Augustus, the emperor, one of his uh, main things that he did under his rule was he 
implemented tax reforms. I know that's really exciting, and you came to Christmas Eve service to hear about tax reforms in the Roman Empire. And what that tax reform did was it resulted in more revenue for the Roman government because what he implemented for the first time was regular taxation. That meant less civil resistance because people knew at regular intervals you're going to be taxed. Because before him, what they would do is they'd just say, oh, we're running out of money. Well, let's just go get it from people. That'll be the way we'll tax. And so people would just rebel against that. But if they knew it was a regular thing, okay, I guess we've got to put, put up with taxes like we do, right? It meant it was a fact of life for the people to deal with. And what they did was in order to make sure that everyone was taxed properly, they conducted censuses to count everybody to make sure that we know how we're going to do this tax. So in other words, when a census came up, that was a stark reminder to the people. You were being counted in order to pay Rome, the foreign occupying power of your homeland. Now that doesn't sound so bad, so we can move on to King Herod. King Herod was what's called a client king, so he was put there by Rome and uh, was basically ruling Judea, kind of like a governor. Now, if you go to Wikipedia, because that's really trustworthy and reliable, but uh, if you go to Wikipedia, you'll find that this is how uh, he is described. It says that Herod was described as a madman who murdered his own family and a great many rabbis. He's described as the evil genius of the Jewish nation. He was prepared to commit any crime in order to gratify his unbounded ambition. That's how he's described. Sound good? Now, Herod gets a bit of play in Matthew's gospel as well. Uh, later in the story, when the wise men from the east, they show up in Jerusalem, and Herod feels threatened by their talk of a king of the Jews who's been born in Bethlehem. This is Jesus. And so what he does is he eventually orders that all boys under the age of two in that region should be killed. Mary, Joseph, and little Jesus flee to as far as Egypt to survive before coming back after Herod's death. And some of you might have seen articles around this Christmas reminding us that the child Jesus was a refugee. That's this story that's being referred to. He and his family had to flee from their homeland, from Judea, out of their occupied homeland in order to survive in Egypt. We may not always relate to God's decisive action in sending a savior, in sending Jesus, but I wonder... Would the people back then have related to God acting decisively? Because it didn't seem like he was then either. Yet into that, Jesus came. And when they might have tried to look back in their history and think, well, when, when had, could God have done something? They had to look back uh, to a time when their people were in Babylon and came out of exile into, back into their homeland and everything was wonderful. That happened 500 years earlier. If they wanted to look back into their history and think, well, when did God help us? It was that time when we, we got rescued out of Egypt and were in the desert for 40 years, but then came into the promised land. In order to look back on that, they had to look back over 1,200 years to that time. We just look at those and think, well, that was the Bible. God's doing all kinds of things all the time. But I'm sure there were people who thought in Jesus' time, okay, there's a God, sure, but he really doesn't seem to be doing very much. Why doesn't God act like, like in Moses' time? In fact, we can go into 
scripture and we can find like Psalm 13, 1 to 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sore in my heart all day long? Psalm 94, verse 3. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? Habakkuk, the prophet, chapter 1, verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen or cry to you violence and you will not save? You see, the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus were very human circumstances. Taxes, corrupt government, violence, refugees. Despite it all, and in the most unlikely way, God was working a miracle. The greatest miracle, in fact, where God himself would enter our broken world in order to heal it. God became one of us, bridged the gap between us and him. Us and our darkness, fallenness, corruption, violence, our loneliness, despair, and fear, and God in his glorious grace and unbounded love. God entered our suffering and even suffered himself so that we could be rescued from it. We stand on the other side of God's decisive action in entering the world as a little child, vulnerable, Yet what a sign of hope. We have a God who chooses to be with us in the mess to fix it. We have a God we can turn to from whom we can receive world-changing love. And God continues to act, but now we see all of his action in the light of what he did in Jesus 2,000 years ago. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. It isn't enough to just say Jesus is the reason for the season. Because we've got to know what that means. We've got to know what it means that Jesus came, that God is with us. We may sometimes cry out, how long? We may sometimes falter in our faith, but you know what? God's action in Jesus Christ is not dependent upon us. God acts of his own accord, and God hears our cry, and God, our, our God, our Christ Jesus, who is loving, kind, and gracious, knows our suffering. He is with us. We celebrate tonight that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We celebrate tonight that no matter how bad things may be for us, for people we know, or for our world, that Christ has overcome, and the world is ultimately in God's hands. The cultural idea of Christmas spirit, you know, it gives us something to do. Be cheerful. Believe in whatever it is that they say we should believe in. Buy presents and like it. But the idea of jolliness, cheer, and the holiday spirit being the fuel for Christmas, that is totally off point. And it diverts us from the gift of Christmas. God gave himself to us, gave. There are no strings. There is no, you better not cry. Instead, we have a child who changes everything, a child who enters a suffering world to save it, a child who makes these words from Revelation 21, verse 4 true. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. It's okay to have feelings of good cheer and Christmas spirit. That's great. But remember that its roots are in what God has decisively done in Jesus Christ. The angels, when they appeared to the shepherds, asked them to just do one thing. 
not believe in their hearts, not have some special feeling, but just go and see this amazing thing that God has done. The angel came with a very simple message. I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. God has done it. Amen.